And welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Tuesday the 8th of December at Colin Chance House, Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles is Moira Lowe. Our sound engineer is John Plush, and we're ably supported, as usual, by members of the administration team. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering. It's certainly good to be here. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatres ready for when they open, readers' letters, birthdays, and obituaries, which are still included, but following listeners' requests, they are nowadays placed in a different spot following the closing music. So if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available on podcasts, but at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, but on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone, Worcester, that's 01905 767766, or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So, we'll start with birthdays. On the 14th of December, Deborah Fryer. The 15th, Charles Hooper. The 19th, Robert Hayes. And also on the 19th, Mandy Atkinson. A very happy birthday to all of you when your day comes. Now those useful telephone numbers. First of all, out of hours medical help, 6 to 8 p.m., 0300-1233-211. NHS non-emergency, 111. Worcester Live, that's for Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall, Worcester 611-427. Malvern Theatre, 01684-892-277. Worcester Hub, Council Matters, Worcester 765765 or Worcester 722-233. Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-1. 
and Samaritans, 116123, and that's a free phone number. Well, now then for the headline articles. And we start with Wednesday, November the 25th. Ex-PCSO who lost a leg, abused for parking. A former PCSO who lost a leg when a Worcester driver crashed into him has spoken out after being threatened and abused for using disabled parking bays by people who can't see his disability. Ben Perry, 26, created this image in Photoshop and there is a photograph to, to relate to this, to show how different he can look depending on what aids he uses and how he is dressed. And he's shown standing, sweater, trousers and so on. He's shown sitting in a wheelchair and he's shown standing with two crutches. Mr Perry said, unfortunately it's a common occurrence that people will have a go at me when parking in a disabled space, particularly if I'm wearing trousers or if I'm in my work clothes. I often get confronted about parking in a disabled space. People will threaten to report me to the police or the council, threaten to report me to my employer. I've even had people threaten to damage my car. The fact of the matter is that without being able to open my door fully, I'm physically unable to get in and out of my car as I'm unable to swing my leg in and out. I have a blue badge, so I'm parked legally. There have even been a couple of occasions when I've been accused of stealing a badge to park in a disabled space. <coughs> a lot of the time, people just see a young lad in a nice car and assume I'm parking there to be an idiot. But this couldn't be any further from the truth. I try not to let it get to me, but when people make threats and threaten to damage my car... It can be quite frustrating and makes me feel like I've no choice but to prove I have one leg in order to prevent anything else. My aim is to raise awareness that disabilities come in all forms and can affect young and old people. I made the picture up to show people that people can be disabled even if it isn't obvious to an outsider. Mr Perry, who now works as a traffic signal installation technician, lost his leg in 2018. While off duty, the Droitwich Special Constable pulled over on the M42 on March the 9th to help another driver following an accident when Kadesha Perves ploughed into him. Pervez from Worcester had been driving at excessive speed for the wet road conditions around 70 miles an hour, despite illuminated warnings that drivers should reduce their speed to 50 miles an hour, and also had two rear tyres underinflated and under the minimum tread depth. The driver of an Audi TT had aquaplaned into the central reservation and ended up facing the wrong way in the fast lane before driving onto the hard shoulder. 
Mr. Perry, a qualified lighting engineer, special constable and police community support officer, stopped to help, putting on a fluorescent yellow jacket and placing an orange flashing beacon on the rude roof of his Ford Focus. He was standing by the boot when he was struck by Pervez, who aquaplaned into him in her BMW. Mr. Perry said in a victim impact statement, I looked down and saw my leg had gone and it was just a fleshy mess. He described screaming in pain and his vision beginning to blur, but remembered seeing the still flashing beacon hanging off his car roof. What remained of his right leg was amputated below the knee and he had to have several abridgment operations to shorten the stump. He spent 23 weeks in hospital and suffered anxiety, depression and PTSD. Pervez, then 25, admitted careless driving and driving with defective tyres and was fined £1,000 and banned from driving for nine months. Now Mr Perry, who lives in Bromsgrove, says he has come to terms with his differently abled body. He said, I still struggle with vivid flashbacks and nightmares from the incident and I can't see that changing any time soon. With regards to my disability, I can struggle with day-to-day things but have tried to readjust my life to suit this. I would say, instead of disabled, I'm differently abled. There are a lot of things that I used to enjoy doing before the crash, which I can no longer do, and I get frustrated and upset at that. So when I get confronted for parking in a disabled space, it can be quite upsetting, especially as I didn't choose to lose my leg, and it was something that could have been prevented. Okay, my headline is from Thursday, November 26th. Guilty of nightclub knockout. A student who knocked a man out during an attack in a Worcester nightclub has been convicted by a jury after they disbelieved his claim he acted in self-defence. Jake Torian was unanimously convicted of assault, occasioning actual bodily harm at Worcester Crown Court on Tuesday following the assault at Alexander's in New Street. The 21-year-old of Hennick Road, St John's, Worcester, had denied the assault, claiming he had acted in self-defence and telling a consultant psychiatrist he had been intimidated by his victim, Paul Mons, after the victim bumped into him three times before the attack on March the 17th last year. But during the trial which began on Monday, the jury saw CCTV footage of the attack in the crowded nightclub. Turian can be seen throwing punches at Mr Mons before knocking him out with an uppercut. Andrew Davidson, prosecuting, taught the jury through the footage, telling them the victim had no memory of the attack. He later told officers, my jaw and cheek was hurting and I felt it was hanging off. Mr David said Mr Mons bumps into the defendant, maybe on more than one occasion. We say that this defendant takes exception to that. He launched into an attack on him, punching in the back of his head and to the face, three quick punches in quick succession, a short pause and then one slower uppercut that rendered Mr Mons unconscious on the floor. Mr Mons managed to get to, get to his feet and leave the premises, but was later conveyed by taxi to the hospital. The jury was also shown photos of Mr Mons' injuries. He suffered swelling to the right-hand side of his face, 
Other bruises and abrasions and needed treatment on a wisdom tooth that had become twisted and pushed into the gum. Torian left immediately after the incident. As a precaution, Mr Mons had to be immobilised on a spinal board. During the trial, Torian told a jury he suffered PTSD after an assault when he was 11 years old. He told a jury he did not act out of anger, but added there was fear. Tony Elliott, a consultant psychiatrist, said Torian had decided to withdraw himself from antidepressant sertraline and had multiple self-harm scars on his arms, caused by a knife or razor. The professor said Torian, whose emotionally unstable personality traits, had told him he felt fearful and under threat before the attack took place. He added Mr Torian expressed significant remorse about what had taken place and said that he felt extremely sorry for the complainant. To use his phrase, he said he felt horrible that this had happened. Torian was arrested at the University of Worcester campus at 9.20am on March 27th, answering no comment to police questions and interview. The case was adjourned until January the 18th next year for a pre-sentence report to be prepared by the probation service. Okay, my next headline is Friday, November the 27th. Tier 2, Relief and Despair. Leaders in Worcestershire have reacted to the county being placed in the stricter Tier 2 of the government's new coronavirus restrictions and some city pub lords say the tougher rules could put them out of business. The decision means the county will be facing tougher rules than before the second national lockdown, which ends on December the 2nd. Tier 2 rules ban households from mixing indoors and the rule of six applies to people meeting outside. Pubs and restaurants can open but alcohol can only be served alongside food. Some of the city's landlords, including Jackie Barry, owner of the Northwick Arms, are already saying the stricter rules would be devastating for pubs. However, there was relief for owners and staff of non-essential shops which were allowed to open on the Wednesday. While sports fans will be allowed to return to stadiums in limited numbers and theatres can also reopen, but with restrictions on the amount of people who can attend, the government says the tier system will be reviewed fortnightly. The county's public health boss has urged residents to keep following lockdown rules whilst in tier two to take control of the virus ahead of Christmas. Dr Catherine Cobain, Director for Public Health for Worcestershire, said coronavirus cases had started to stabilise during the second national lockdown and the coming weeks were a real opportunity to take control of the virus and get the county's figures down. Worcestershire's infection rate has continued to fall, according to the latest public health figures, which rated 190.8 cases per 100,000 people in the week up to November 20th falling from 246.4 in the week up to November the 12th. Dr Cobain said, I would like to thank you all for your continued hard work in helping to stop the spread of COVID-19. During these recent restrictions, we have seen some positive signs that COVID-19 cases are starting to stabilise in the county. The tier will be... The tier will be be in from December the 2nd will be reviewed every two weeks so it is important that we keep these figures heading in the right direction. Therefore we need to continue to follow the measures in place to protect us all. We need to keep following the rules and keep building on the hard work we have done so far. This is a real opportunity to take control of the virus, get our figures down and reduce the risk of transmission especially with Christmas around the corner. 
It is up to us all now to keep going with the good work, by social distancing, by wearing a face covering, by washing our hands regularly and limiting our contacts. Councillor John Smith, Cabinet Member for Health and Wellbeing at Worcestershire County Council, said... These new measures represent a renewed opportunity to get our numbers down even more, he said. If we keep working together to follow the rules, we will keep the people of Worcestershire safe and reduce the transmission of the virus. Business leaders have said the tier announcement would be disappointing for some businesses and hoped the measures would see the county move out of tier two in a fortnight's time. Sharon Smith, Chief Executive of Herefordshire and Worcestershire Chamber of Commerce, said... With no household mixing in any indoor setting, this puts many hospitality businesses at a further disadvantage, which will see a dip in trade when allowed to reopen. The guidance given to business in the coming weeks on what exactly they can and cannot do must be delivered in a clear and timely manner by government to allow businesses time to prepare. We hope that the hard work of businesses around the region will lead to an improved picture in a couple of weeks' time, where the placement of the two counties will be reviewed. Now the article from Saturday, November the 28th. Knife thief who hit woman out on bail. And this article is illustrated by two pictures of the person concerned and also of the presiding judge. A psychotic man punched a vicar's wife during a bizarre burglary and stole two large kitchen knives, only to be later caught with yet another blade. But he was still granted bail at a Worcester court and is back on the streets. Kamil Panesevich walked free onto the busy streets of Worcester from the city's Crown Court, having been granted bail following two separate knife offences and despite concerns raised by a judge over the danger he poses to the public. The 25-year-old had already admitted the burglary and the attack on the business vicar's wife in Bromsgrove when he stole two knives from the vicarage on June the 6th last year, causing the terrified woman to flee her home. The defendant was under investigation and had been charged with those offences in Bromsgrove when he was arrested in Mulvern with yet another knife on July the 9th this year. Panesevich had a knife at 3am in Malvern, claiming he was only going to use it to cut sandwiches while out hiking on the Malvern Hills. Departing from the sentencing guidelines, magistrates gave him a suspended sentence for the Malvern matter. The defendant appeared again at Worcester Crown Court on Thursday after admitting burglary, assault and the theft of two kitchen knives following an attack on a vicar's wife at the vicarage in Kidderminster Road, Bromsgrove. Despite the judge's reluctance, the defendant was granted bail with stringent conditions and was able to walk out of the court, the case adjourned for a pre-sentence and psychiatric report. Panasevich of Hollyhock Road, Birmingham, is photographed in this article. He was in Fourgate Street when photographed, strolling towards the railway station just yards from an unsuspecting public. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said during the hearing, the whole question arises about why he was carrying knives and why was he stealing knives in a burglary. Why did a man commit a violent burglary to take knives into a public place? 
Glenn Cook for Panesevich said, He has been walking on the Malvern Hills. He used it to cut his bread while making sandwiches. The knife seized in Malvern was said to have a four-inch blade, but Mr Cook pointed out there is no suggestion that he brandished it, that he took it out. However, Judge Cartwright observed that the defendant must have taken the knife with him on public transport, most likely the train, from his home in Birmingham to Malvern. He also said Panesevich must have known it was illegal to do so because he had already been arrested for possession of the two knives in Bromsgrove. The defendant chose to answer no comment when asked by police whether he knew it was illegal to carry a knife in public. Mr Cook argued that his client's symptoms could be managed with medication, including antipsychotic injections administered monthly. Panesevich was asked why he'd gone to the church in Bromsgrove and said, through his advocate, that he didn't remember. Judge Cartwright said, Everybody knows and knew a year ago that possession of knives in a public place is a very serious offence because of the number of people who suffer serious injury or get killed by knives every year. What happens if he has another episode? The defendant, who has previously been sectioned, is living in supported accommodation in Birmingham and is under the supervision of a care coordinator. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said the case had a troubling history. He added, the real issue now is whether Mr Panesevich could be, could, should be remanded in custody or on bail, with conditions between now and then, the sentencing date. Describing the Bromsgrove offences, the judge said Mrs Khan was at home at 8am in the summer of last year when she answered a knock at the door. When she answered, he put his foot in the door, forced his way in and punched her to the face and to the body, hitting her with a bag containing a heavy article. Fortunately, she was able to flee the property. He then committed a burglary, but not taking the usual items one might expect. He took items of clothing, but also, troublingly, two large kitchen knives, said the judge. The defendant was apprehended nearby. However, he was not charged with anything until May of this year. In the meantime, he had been under investigation and, having been charged with the Bromsgrove offences, travelled to Malvern, taking with him another knife. Judge Cartwright said the magistrates who sentenced him for the Malvern offence had departed from the guidelines, which indicate that an immediate custodial sentence should be imposed, instead giving him a suspended sentence, sentencing him to 16 weeks in prison, suspended for 12 months in September. He said, Mr Panasevich appears before the Crown Court on bail and at liberty. It seems to be obvious, against that background, there's a substantial risk that Mr Panasevich will commit a serious offence if at liberty. The judge said, protection of the public is of paramount consideration. However, he said he was just persuaded that he could grant bail, but with stringent conditions. These include an electronically monitored curfew between 5pm and 8am daily, and that he comply with medical treatment as directed by his care coordinator, including the administration of injections.
The sentence hearing is scheduled to take place on January the 14th next year. Okay, next headline is from Monday the 30th of November and it's celebrating care heroes. Today we launch our Worcestershire Care Heroes Award to thank the county's brave warriors of the coronavirus pandemic. In association with Worcestershire County Council, we're asking readers of the Worcester News, Mulvin Gazette and Evesham Journal to nominate carers who've been an inspiration during the COVID crisis. Over the next three weeks, we will profile these heroes in our titles to celebrate them and ask our readers to vote for their favourite with the overall winner revealed in our papers on Christmas Eve. Thanks to sponsors Waitrose and Iconic Boutique, our Worcestershire Care Hero 2020 will win a Christmas to remember with prizes totalling £530 in value. They are Waitrose in Worcester's Christmas hamper, a case of Christmas wines and a £100 gift card worth a total of £250. Iconic Boutique Salon and Evesham's complete festive pamper package worth £280 in which includes a 60-minute facial, 60-minute massage, pedicure and manicure, full hair treatment and cut and blow dry with Salon Manager and Art Director James. Michael Purton, editor of the Worcester News, Morven Gazette and Evesham Journal said... During the COVID pandemic, we have rightly thanked our NHS doctors and nurses for their incredible efforts. But the nation's carers deserve just as much recognition because they have been truly heroic in their unstinting dedication in looking after the vulnerable. Carers have put their own health on the line to continue providing fantastic care throughout the coronavirus. So we want to celebrate Worcestershire's care heroes with this competition to thank them for their amazing efforts. We want to celebrate all kinds of carers, those who work in a residential home, those who provide home care visits and those who care for a relative or friend. I urge all of our readers who have been helped by a carer, whether it's them personally, a relative or a friend, to nominate that carer for our award. Although they may not win the award, the recognition of being featured in the newspapers will mean so much to them. Councillor Adrian Hardman, Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Adult Social Care at Worcestershire County Council said, There are not enough words to describe how important carers across the county are to us all year round, making sure our residents stay safe and well. Their kindness, dedication and devotion to keeping our loved ones safe and well throughout the pandemic continues to be inspirational and truly humbling. I'd like to thank all of our carers who give up their time to care for someone, whether that be a family member, friend or neighbour. Their work is part of the togetherness and the community spirit that we've all generated during this time. It will be remembered for years to come and it's something we can all be immensely proud of. So we're very proud as this county council to support the Worcestershire Care Heroes campaign. It recognises the outstanding contribution of our carers during this most difficult of times. Our carers and health workers have really exemplified the true meaning of what it means to be a hero. Some of the county's MPs have also supported Worcestershire Care Heroes. Worcester MP Robin Walker said, The huge challenges facing everyone during this pandemic have been even greater for carers, but never has their work been more important or their care more of a lifeline, lifeline for those they support. Harriet Baldwin, MP for West Worcestershire, commented, 
We've always known that care workers are highly valued and anyone who has a loved one in a care setting knows what an amazing job they do. Nigel Huddiston, MP for Mid Worcestershire, added, There are many unsung heroes in the constituency who needed recognition none more deservingly than carers. You can vote for your Worcestershire Care Hero 2020 by filling in the form that's on the page. Um, but you can also vote by emailing michael.perton at newsquest.co.uk. Please put Worcestershire Care Heroes 20 as the subject of the email and include the following information. The name of the carer, where, where they were, why you think they deserve to win the award, your name and your contact number so that we can call you in order to gather details for the feature profiling the carer you've nominated. Now, the deadline for voting is 11am on Monday, December the 21st, and the winner will be announced on Christmas Eve. Now, Tuesday, December the 1st. Raring to go. City shops can't wait to reopen. Independent retailers in Worcester are getting ready to welcome customers back with open arms when lockdown ends. From Wednesday, December the 2nd, the national lockdown is over and Worcester and the wider county will be subject to Tier 2 restrictions instead, meaning non-essential shops will, will be able to reopen. City business owners told the Worcester News how they are feeling about being able to open their doors once again. Sue Bishop of the Swan Boutique in Friar Street said, I'm so excited about opening up on the 2nd and will open every day up to Christmas Eve. The recent lockdown has compelled me to go to end-of-season sale early. I'm offering up to a 50% discount. Worcester has a wealth of independent shops, bars and cafes and needs customer and council support more than ever, not just now but continually. Otherwise, Worcester City will become a ghost town. Tim Evans, who runs Toys and Games of Worcester with wife Vicky, said, We're really looking forward to opening and seeing everyone again. This lockdown, although shorter, felt longer. We're fully stocked. We're doing a full tidy and clean up ready for 9am on Wednesday. We're extending our hours to 9am to 6pm to spread out custom and we'll be doing late night Thursdays throughout. Michelle Rasdall, who, who runs Mr Sims' old sweet shop with husband Mark, said, We will certainly be open for longer hours from now until the end of the 24th, seven days a week, but still with strict social distancing in place. What we've launched this morning is the opportunity for nervous or previously shielding customers to book a free appointment for a personal after-hours shop. Our lovely customers have been incredibly supportive and we want to offer anyone who needs a bit more space or a bit of quiet time to come and browse safely. Sisters Paula Farrington and Lisa Farrington-Martin of Embrace Boutique Lingerie Shop added... We're looking forward to welcoming our customers back on Wednesday with COVID-19 measures in place to undertake our fitting services. Samantha McCarthy of Worcester Business Improvement District, BID, added, Please do buy from Worcester businesses to help support them and keep them going. 
It's vital for our city centre and high street. Click and collect to your Worcester branch rather than opting for home delivery means the local store deals with the transaction rather than a national distribution depot. 64% of our retailers in the city are independent shops and if everyone in the county spent £10 in a Worcester independent retailer they would be injecting £5.92 million back into the local economy which is really needed right now to support the survival of our city. Okay, it's Wednesday, December the 2nd, and the headline is Vision of the Future for Barrow's House. So there's a picture of what Barrow's House is going to look like when the university take it over, and it's sort of um, very square and gold is the best way of describing it, I think. Um, this is the first look at how the University of Worcester plans to transform well-known city building Barrow's House. The university has submitted plans to transform the former Worcester News building on Hilton Road into a state-of-the-art teaching facilities for health students. A university spokesman said, The large two- and three-storey building, designed by Austin Smith Salmon Lord Partnership, will become a spacious, flexible, modern teaching facility for health and medical education. Attractively clad and flooded with natural light from the impressive north light roof structures, it will become an architectural highlight on the St John's Bank of the Severn. University Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive Professor David Green said... The development of this facility will be key in providing inclusive and inspiring learning facilities to educate the next generation of health professionals that this country needs so badly. This new Centre for Health and Medical Education will bring much-needed jobs and prosperity to the city, creating hundreds of new opportunities to gain a first-class education and vital professional qualifications in a wide variety of health professions including... The Worcester News was based at Barrow's House since 1965, but the university took possession of the building earlier this year. The plans, drawn up by Midlands-based Glancy Nichols Architects, include a state-of-the-art anatomy, sorry, anatomy lab, a suite of GP simulation rooms and a range of general seminar and teaching rooms. There will also be offices, breakout spaces for group study and a cafe. The university confirmed low or zero carbon technologies will be used throughout the building in line with the university's environmental and sustainability ethos. The university, named Sustainability Institution of the Year for the UK and Ireland in 2019 and globally commended at the United Nations in 2020, has consistently been one of the UK's leading environmentally responsible universities. The building will also be highly inclusive in line with the university's commitment to genuine inclusion by design, which saw the nearby University of Worcester Arena win the Guardian's Buildings That Inspire Award in 2015. The plans have been submitted to Worcester City Council and will be considered in the new year. The fully refurbished building will be a significant addition to the University's Seven campus, whose focus is on health, well-being and inclusive sport. 
Earlier this year, the university was awarded the largest allocation of additional health training places in the country. As well as those studying across the university's extensive suite of healthcare courses, including nursing, midwifery, paramedicine, physiotherapy and physician associates, the university is hoping that the new building will also provide a centre for its planned Three Counties Medical School, which is currently progressing through the General Medical Council's approvals and assessment procedures. Now, Thursday, December the 3rd, Mum's anger at vile thefts. Two mothers were left appalled after discovering items were missing from their children's graves. Families reported statues and personal items had disappeared from three graves in a Worcester cemetery. One heartbroken mother said a large concrete statue of Peter Rabbit is missing from her infant son's grave while two other graves belonging to the same family also appeared to have been targeted. A necklace placed on the grave of Marlon Vella, who died earlier this year, was reported missing, and a Mickey Mouse statue had also been removed from his infant brother Logan Vella's grave. Tara Louise Sampson said, I went to Charlie's grave on Tuesday and realised someone had stolen his Peter Rabbit and the baby boy in the next grave had his Mickey Mouse stolen. I'm feeling very angry that a human being could do this. We're all just shocked. Both families are. Me and the mum of the other baby boy are very close and we just think they are vile people and they must have had a car as these ornaments weigh a tonne. It's really disturbing. The Vella family have shared their disgust at the thefts on Facebook. Marlon and Logan's mother, Julie Howard, said, It was Logan's 11th birthday on Tuesday, so I went to take his flowers and noticed the big Mickey Mouse had gone along with a teddy bear and some other small items. I have another son, Marlon, in the same cemetery. He's also had items stolen from his grave. It's heartbreaking and disgusting that anyone would steal from a dead person. The thefts were reported to the Astwood Cemetery manager, Doug Henderson, who said, We are, of course, not happy that these thefts have taken place. It's hard to believe any person would think it was OK to take things from graves, let alone the graves of children. It's very sad, and I'm surprised people feel comfortable doing such a thing. We've asked all of our grand staff to stay vigilant and keep an eye out for any suspicious persons, but it's very challenging. We don't have CCTV in all areas of the cemetery, and with it getting darker earlier, it's difficult. We've told the families to report it to the police so they can up patrols in the area at night. We're doing all we can to prevent this from happening again. Inspector Fergus Green from Worcester Police Station added, Although at this time we have not had any crimes reported to us regarding this incident, we understand how distressing this will be for the family and friends affected by this heartless crime. We would appeal for anyone with information to report it to us so that it can be investigated. Okay, so Friday, December the 4th. 
A Sea Cadet leader stole close to £5,000 from the charity by fraudulently filling up his own car using a fuel card intended to pay for minibus trips for young people. Liam Pickering admitted fraud by abusive position when he appeared before Worcester Magistrate Court yesterday. The 40-year-old dad of Knights Hill, Seven Stoke, near Worcester, was the chairman of Malvern Sea Cadets, dishonestly abusing his position to make a gain of £4,753 between June 15, 2018 and July 19 last year. On its website, it says the cadets offer a range of different activities from sailing, windsurfing and powerboating to rock climbing, camping and music. Shavkat Riaz, prosecuting, said Pickering had used the fuel card on 82 occasions before the fraud came to light during what he called a breach of trust, although he accepted that Pickering had paid some of the money back in the meantime. The starting point within the sentencing guidelines indicated Pickering should receive a sentence of 36 weeks in prison as a starting point with a range available of a high-level community order at the bottom of the range to a year in prison at the top. Heath Thomas, defending, said he really wasn't dealing with money. The Treasurer looked after that. He wasn't in control of the purse strings. One of his jobs was to sort out the fuel card for the minibus transporting the youths around. He added, it's not as if he set out with an intention to fraud the Malvern Sea Scouts for that sum of money. Mr Thomas described the fraud as a very unsophisticated matter. The card had a unique number and the defendant's name on it. The Malvern Sea Cadets were paying the bill via a direct debit set up by the Treasurer. It would not come to light until July 2019 when it was thought the fuel charges were a little higher than they might expect, he said. Pickering has been paying the money back since December last year, so far returning £3,250 of the cash. He has also offered to pay any interest on top. Mr Thomas also stressed that Pickering's role had been voluntary, not a paid position. The advocate argued that though the fraud had a detrimental impact on the charity, it did not have a great consequence upon them. Cadet leaders only become aware of it 12 months later. When they realised that Pickering had done, the committee members reported him to the police. The defendant had no previous relevant convictions and was a person of previous good character. Pickering also worked as a youth football coach and had himself been a sea cadet since the age of 17. Prior to these matters, his conduct was described by his advocate as exemplary and laudable. The father of two, who had his first child when he was 15, is so embarrassed he can't bring himself to tell them, said Mr Thomas. He also said Pickering was grateful he had been found out. The chairman of the magistrate's bench, Fiona Charney, said, We accept it was unsophisticated, but it was pretty unpleasant really, and it was against a charity which we find very difficult. Magistrates sentenced him to a 12-month community order. He must complete 160 hours of unpaid work and continue paying back the remaining £1,503 he still owes to the Malvern Sea Cadets. He must pay £185 costs and a £90 victim surcharge. Now, Saturday, December the 5th, Covid survivor. The battle isn't won yet. A previously healthy man who was almost put into an induced coma after he contracted COVID-19 has thanked NHS staff for saving his life. 
and warned people not to get complacent just because the UK has approved a vaccine. Mike Carroll, 59, was only released from Worcestershire Royal Hospital on Wednesday and said he was close to being put in a coma after his oxygen levels dropped dangerously low while he was in the intensive care unit. Mike, a charity fundraiser who lives with his partner, Jackie, near Worcester City Centre, started to display symptoms last month on November the 6th. He said, In the morning I started coughing unbelievably badly. I knew it wasn't normal, so I booked a test at the county hall drive through and that came back positive. When I went back home, I started to feel quite ill. I had a temperature and was coughing, so we called out the paramedics who told me I had an extremely high temperature. We weren't overly concerned at this point because we thought we might be able to bring my temperature down. But a few days later, Mike's condition deteriorated rapidly. He became incoherent and his partner said he started to discuss things that didn't make sense, including talking about looking for a lighthouse. Paramedics were called. Within half an hour, Mike's oxygen levels had dropped dangerously low and he was taken to Worcestershire Royal on November the 14th. At first, Mike was taken to the respiratory unit but was transferred to the ICU the next day after his breathing and oxygen levels deteriorated further. He was then put into a continuous positive airway pressure machine, CPAP, a type of non-invasive ventilation. I remember, said Mike, having what I and another nurse called the astronaut helmet on, which was the hood of the CPAP breathing apparatus attached to me. It was extremely uncomfortable. It felt like it was choking me every 30 seconds. At one point, I was 100% reliant on the oxygen and could not produce my own. I can remember really struggling for breath. You're not sure how long you need to gasp. The staff were very close to putting me on a ventilator and into an induced coma but fortunately managed to just avoid it. Mike was given blood donated by people who have recovered from COVID-19, which has antibodies to the virus that causes the infection. The transfusion removes blood cells, leaving behind plasma and antibodies. He says this was the turning point. I was still very short of oxygen, and it wasn't until November the 18th when they managed to get my oxygen level requirement from 60% to 45 he said. After that, everything was very gradual, slowly but surely reducing the amount of oxygen I needed from the machine. After his condition improved, Mike was able to leave the ICU one week ago. He was transferred to the recovery ward where the hospital staff kept reducing his oxygen requirements until he could support himself. On leaving the ICU, Mike said, I was so relieved when I no longer needed the CPAP, but it did its job and saved my life. After a period spent in the recovery ward undergoing physio, Mike was able to return home on Wednesday, December the 2nd. I'm relieved to be home, he said, because I have the comfort of my own home 
but I still have to take injections to keep my blood thin so I don't get clotting and also take other medication. Michael will still have follow-up checks at the hospital in several weeks' time and still has some breathing difficulties, said he would struggle to walk 500 yards and isn't sure how long exactly it will take him to recover fully. I'm still very much in the recovery process, but we're doing it the right way. I'm just taking it day by day at the moment. Mike said the only reason he's here today is because of the staff at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. I can't find enough words to thank them, he said. They are amazingly dedicated people. It's just beyond words, really, what they've done for me. And they were amazing at keeping my family and my partner Jackie updated. They kept everybody informed. They were honestly amazing. It was very emotional leaving on Wednesday. They gave me a bell to leave the ward, which was extremely emotional. It was a recognition of surviving. Mike, who has no underlying health conditions, said he hopes his story will continue to highlight the seriousness of the virus to others. I feel extremely grateful to survive. But when I was on the recovery ward, unfortunately, one of the gentlemen I was next to for four days didn't make it, he said. Another man also came onto the ward and his wife, who also has co had COVID, was in the ICU and she also passed away. I think the recovery ward is where it hits home and shows how serious this is. This virus is still here and the battle isn't won yet. It's great news they've developed a vaccine, but there's still a long way to go. People shouldn't get complacent. OK, so this is yesterday's headline, Monday, December the 7th. A drink driver hurt cyclist. A brave cyclist risked life and limb to stop a dangerous drink driver, but the drunken menace dragged him along the road and crashed into a post in Worcester. Martin Davis admitted dangerous driving and drink driving following the incident in City Walls Road in Worcester, but was spared jail at Worcester Crown Court on Thursday. Miraculously, cyclist Fabio Veracruz suffered only minor injuries after the open car door shut on him when Davis, more than three times the drink drive limit, crashed into a post, showering the Good Samaritan in broken glass. The terrifying incident happened at 2am on September the 5th this year when the furloughed chef, who still has the full support of his employer, got behind the wheel after a night out with friends in the city. Mr Veracruz was commended by Judge Nicholas Cartwright for his courage. Awarding him compensation, the judge said, Mr Veracruz thankfully was not more seriously injured, having done the public spirited thing, and put himself at considerable risk to apprehend a dangerous driver. The 41-year-old defendant of Ambleside Drive, Warnden, Worcester, was spared an immediate jail sentence. He was so drunk he has no memory of the crash. Before it happened, Mr Veracruz had knocked on the window repeatedly shouted stop and as a last resort opened the car door and tried to put the handbrake on. But he was ignored by Davis who gave no response and drove off with Mr Veracruz clinging to the car, said Alexander Barber prosecuting. 
Davis drove off faster than Mr. Veracruz estimated he could cycle, which he judged to be around 20 miles per hour. As the defendant headed towards St. Nicholas Street before hitting the post at the top of Lowesmore. His decision to drive was made despite Davis's having paid for parking until the next morning and having money for a taxi home. Davis had been out drinking with other friends from the catering and hospitality industry, said Julia Powell, defending, who described her client's actions as completely out of character. She said the dad was now teetotal and in a letter to the court had said he was extremely sorry. However, Davis decided to drive home despite being vastly over the limit, said Judge Nicholas Cartwright sentencing. A later breath test revealed Davis was more than three times the limit with a reading of 118 mcgs of alcohol per 100 millilitres of breath. The limit is 35 mcg. Judge Cartwright said it was somewhat inexplicable that the defendant had come before the court at the age of 41, having never had a previous conviction. He said, You were totally incapable. The fact you say you don't recall anything of this isn't mitigation. Quite the opposite, it's aggravation. Summarising the case, the judge said the defendant turned right out of the car park, heading the wrong way down the dual carriageway section of City Walls Road, before the public-spirited cyclist intervened, because you were obviously such a danger. He actually thought you had passed out behind the wheel of the car. In fact, you were extremely drunk and probably gave the same outward impression. The cyclist attempted to open the door and put on the handbrake. As he tried to stop Davis... What you did was to put the car in gear and drive off, travelling in the correct direction, but with Mr Veracruz standing on the sill of the car with the door open, supporting himself with one hand on the roof and one on the top of the door. He added, you drove in such a way that the door on your side of the car struck a pole. Closing it on Mr Veracruz, who thankfully has not suffered much more serious injuries as a result of the door shutting and the glass in the window breaking. Mr Veracruz recovered the car keys and threw them onto the ground and told Davis to get out of the car. Davis lay in the road until police arrived. The judge said his driving was plainly dangerous and on top of that you disregarded repeated warnings about your driving for Mr Veracruz. If the judge thought that Davis drove into the pole deliberately to shut the door on Mr Veracruz then the outcome of the hearing would be very different indeed, the defendant was told. The judge, who has to consider the harsher regime in prison due to COVID-19, sentenced Davis to eight months in prison, suspended for two years. Davis was banned from driving for 28 months and must do an extended driving test before he is able to get his licence back. Davis must also complete 180 hours of unpaid work, pay £500 compensation to Mr Veracruz, £340 costs and a victim surcharge of £900. And the last headline article from today, Tuesday, December the 8th. Boys saved in river drama. Two teenagers spent 40 minutes screaming for help after falling into the freezing cold water of the River Severn. The 17-year-old boys fell into the water after their boat hit an overhanging branch and capsized but they were able to scramble onto the top of their overturned boat before they were rescued by the fire service. A dog walker called the emergency services after hearing the desperate screams from the boys. Matt Reynolds said, 
I was walking the dog and heard them shouting for help. This was two or three minutes after they capsized. I called 999 and waited until they arrived. They were about five metres away from the edge, caught on overhanging branches. They were not able to swim to the side as the current was quite fast. Mr Reynolds said, I asked their ages so I could pass this to the fire service and ambulance when they arrived. They told me they were 17. I believe they were using the Worcester Rowing Club boat as that's who they initially asked for when we came to their aid. They explained whilst rowing they got caught in the overhanging branch which capsized their boat. They couldn't swim to the side due to the current or turn the boat over again as it was stuck firm, so both got on top and shouted for help. Once I realised they were stuck and couldn't get to the side without any help, I was rather worried for them. I kept hoping someone would row past and help them, but as it was a cold day it wasn't very busy on the river. The fire brigade came and rescued them. They spent about 40 minutes in the water and were very cold and wet, but appeared to be doing okay when they were pulled out. I made sure we stayed until they were rescued and all safe and sound. I'm glad they're both okay. Mr Reynolds was walking his dog along Camp Lane in Grimley just after 2pm on Saturday when he spotted the distressed boys. A spokesman for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said, Five crews, two from Worcester, one from Malvern, one from Redditch and one from Ledbury, as well as the water first responder crew from Malvern, were called at 2.19pm on December the 5th to a rescue from water near the Camp House Inn, Camp Lane, Grimley. After capsizing a rowing boat, the two 17-year-old males were rescued from the river by fire service personnel using a water sled. The casualties were handed over to the care of paramedics. Ambulance and police also attended. He added the incident was over by 4.30pm. Right, Moira is now going to read Thought for the Week. Okay, this is from Matthew 1, verses 20 to 21. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Well, now you may have gathered that because there are so many headline articles, which obviously we must read to you, um, there's a limited amount of time for other things. So just one letter this week, and I think you'll realise when you hear it why I've chosen that one. It's from a Jerome Jeremy Bertram, a letter to the Worcester News, and he lives in Oxford. Sir, may I trespass on your columns in search of a very old friend, said to be living in or near Worcester? Chris M. S., if you are out there, I would love to be in touch. I'm in the hospice now, not long to go. They're keeping me comfortable, but I'm getting weaker day by day. It's Sobel House, attached to the Churchill Hospital. 01865 
225873. Fond memories of our years together in Rome and in Sussex. Many thanks, editor. Right now, some articles. And the first one, its heading is Oscar will light up the city. And I think this article lights up everybody. Residents will be able to watch a very different annual Christmas light switch on this evening, which will be led by city schoolboy Oscar Saxelby Lee. A video has been put together by Worcester Business Improvement District, which includes footage of Oscar and the community switching on their lights. Residents were invited to send in footage and photos of their families switching on home or garden Christmas lights in lieu of the pu usual public Christmas light switch-on ceremony held in the city centre. Oscar will lead the community and call out for residents to light up Worcester with him. The six-year-old said he couldn't wait to see all the Christmas lights shining in Worcester. His mum, Olivia Saxelby, said, Oscars can't wait for Christmas. He's so excited. It's non-stop Santa chat in our house. We hope to see the streets lit to show just how strong our community spirit is. Brave Oscar captured the hearts of the city as £500,000 was raised for a gruelling bone marrow transplant in Singapore after he was diagnosed with T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. The St John's schoolboy is now cancer-free. The film will be released on Visit Worcester and the other partner Facebook pages at 6pm this evening and this article was from Thursday, November the 26th. There has been no live switch on this year due to the pandemic, but Sam McCarthy, Projects and Marketing Manager from Worcestershire Bid, is hoping this evening's event can bring some festive joy to what has been a difficult year. Sam said, as much as we would have loved Oscar to switch on the main light, we haven't been able to do so with the pandemic. But the video shows the whole community being led by Oscars as they light up their houses and city. The video will show a story of trying to bring some light in the dark this year. Let's spread Christmas cheer because we can't do a switch on and we can't have big gatherings. But there's no reason we can't all celebrate together. Visit Worcester hosted the Light Up Worcester campaign to ensure a Covid Christmas can still bring a seasonal smile to the faces of old and young alike as the community pulls together. And there's one particularly joyful picture of Oscar. His smile would light up a room. It was lovely because it was on the national news as well. Yes. So it was very nice. OK, more good news. Christmas is not cancelled at Worcester Cathedral, with the popular annual festive events still planned to go ahead. All Christmas events at the Cathedral, including the traditional services and carol concert, will be going ahead with social distancing measures in place, meaning fewer people than normal will be able to take part. 
all events will go ahead with full safety measures in place, including the traditional Christmas services, Christmas concert by candlelight, and the annual display of glittering Christmas trees displayed in the atmospheric medieval cloister. Some Christmas services will be also be live-streamed on the Worcester Cathedral Facebook page to ensure that those who cannot or choose not to attend in person can be part of the Christmas celebrations. Worcester Cathedral's Chief Operating Officer Val Floy said, Christmas is when the Cathedral's place in all our lives is perhaps most obvious. Although government guidance means we cannot hold our usual Christmas celebrations in the same way, we are determined that the Cathedral will still play its central role in Christmas for our community. We are delighted to invite the residents of Worcester, our neighbours in the county and those further afield to join in this unique Cathedral Christmas. But if you're not able to join us in person, there will also be services available online and the chance to support the work of the Cathedral by making a contribution through our website. More information and a full list of live stream services can be found on the Cathedral website. Seating will be limited and admittance to all public services, apart from 8am on Christmas Day and live streams, will be strictly by pre-booked ticketed entry only. The tickets are free and can be booked by the Cathedral website from 9am last Thursday. This year, only around 150 people at a time can be allowed in. That's around 10% of the normal attendance at Christmas. Because of this, more services will be held to give more people the chance to attend in person. The Cathedral will also be live-streaming some service via its Facebook page. To protect all involved, con- congregational singing will not be a part of services this Christmas, but the choirs will perform Christmas music and carols for all to enjoy. And now something again to inspire us. Girl Inspires Fundraisers. Two charity events in Worcester helped to raise more than £1,500 for the Cystic Fibrosis Ward at the hospital. Kimberly Price's six-year-old daughter, Summer, was diagnosed with a condition which affects the lungs and digestive system when she was just two weeks old. Summer, who lives in Worcester with her family, has been treated at Birmingham Children's Hospital as well as Worcestershire Royal to fight her illness. She developed some bacteria in her lungs recently and Kimberly discussed using a faster nebulizer a machine used to administer medication inhaled into the lungs to treat her daughter during an appointment at the hospital. Kimberly said that the hospital was struggling to get the faster nebulizers because of the financial strain put on NHS due to the pandemic. It was then that Kimberly decided to try and raise funds for equipment for the hospital. Amy Ford, who runs an online Zumba classes, heard about Kimberly's fundraising efforts and decided to help. She held a live charity Zumba night and raised 1200 to help Kimberly and Summer. She said, I got to know Kimberly when she started coming to my classes. We became quite close. My youngest goes to school with a boy whose brother has cystic fibrosis, so I know a bit about the condition and they were trying to raise money, so I thought I would like to help. 
People could book the online class and pay £5 per ticket, and some just donated separately as well. Everyone who donated is incredible, and not everyone had a particular reason to donate as they don't have links to the illness, so it was amazing. I thought we would raise maybe three or four hundred pounds. I'm very happy with what we have raised. Kimberly's friend, Claire Bird, also helped to raise £360 through a raffle of wax melts from her company, the Malvern Melts. Claire said, I saw Kim put a post on Facebook to say that they needed some equipment to help Summer, which they were struggling to get, and it would make a huge difference. So I thought if I could do something just to raise even a little bit, that's a help. And it's great the money will go straight to the Worcester unit for summer and other local children would benefit from it. Kimberly said, I would like to say how thankful I am for those two businesses helping summer with raising this amount of money. And it just goes to show that goodwill to all men is there all the year round. Mm. A family-run home and gift store in Worcester has been named Britain's best small shop of 2020. Cornucopia, based in Crowngate, took home the accolade after mother and daughter owners, Claire and Hannah Bishop, opened its Truva boutique online during lockdown. The pair took products home from the shop and turned their garage into a distribution centre. This enabled them to distribute products to customers all over the world and open their own online shop. Claire Bishop said, We feel that customers really want a physical shop to come into. We like to display in a way that gives the customer an idea of what they could recreate at home. We have a tremendous team to help support us within the shop, otherwise it just wouldn't look the way it does. The Best Small Shops competition is managed by the Independent Retailers Confederation, whose member trade associations represent around 100,000 independent retailers throughout the UK. In their comments about Cornucopia, the judges said they loved their resilient approach combined with their community spirit. Judges said they are very active on social media and support other local and independent businesses and the wider community. They are active in initiatives that help drive football. They understand that every place is the sum of its physical and digital parts. They praise the owners for their efforts to maintain trading and open up new revenue streams during lockdown. Cornucopia is an innovation business that clearly worked hard during COVID-19 to ensure that business both survived and thrived post-lockdown. Activity engaging with the local business community and local people to benefit of the business, they said. As it's our last recording before Christmas, a brief departure from our usual format. A seasonal poem called The Innkeeper's Wife. So will you please imagine that it's some years after the birth of Christ. A certain innkeeper's wife, now widowed, is instructing the local carpenter to repair and replace the castle stalls out in the byre or stable. And memories come flooding back. I love this byre. Shadows are kindly here. 
the light is flecked with travelling stars of dust. So quiet it seems after the inn clamour, scraping of fiddles, the stamping feet. Only the cows, each in her patient box, turn their slow eyes as we and the sunlight enter. That's the stall, carpenter. You see, it's too far gone for patching or repatching. My husband made it, and he's been gone these dozen years and more. Strange how this lifeless thing, degraded wood, split from the tree and nailed and crucified to make a wall, outlives the mastering hand that struck it down, the warm, firm hand that touched me with tender love. No, let the fire take them, strip every board and make a new beginning. Too many memories lurk like worms in this old wood. That piece you're holding, that patch of grain with a giant's thumbprint. I stared at it a full hour when he died. Its grooves are down my mind. And that board there, bearing its knothold like a missing jigsaw. I remember another hand along its rim. No, not my husband's. And why I should remember, I cannot say. It was a night in winter. Our house was full, tight packed as salted herrings. So full, they said, we had to hold our breaths to shut the door and shut the night air out. And then two travellers came. They stood outside across the threshold, half in the ring of light and half beyond it. I would have let them in, despite the crowding. The woman was past her time. But I'd no mind to argue with my husband. The flagon in my hand and half the inn still clamouring for wine. But when trade had slackened and all our guests had sung themselves to bed or told the floor their troubles, I came out here where he had lodged them. The man was standing as you are now, his hands smoothing that board. He was a carpenter, I heard them say. She rested on the straw, and on her arm a child was lying. None of your creased-faced brats squalling their lungs out. Just lying there, as calm as a new-dropped calf, his eyes wide open and gazing round, as if the world he saw in the chaff-strewn light of the stable lantern was something new and beautiful and strange. Ah, well, he'll have learnt different now, I reckon, wherever he is. And why I should recall a scene like that, when times I would remember have passed beyond reliving, I cannot think. It's a trick you're served by old possessions. They have their memories too. Too many memories. Well, I must go in. There are meals to serve. 
Join us there, Carpenter, when you've had enough of cattle company. The world is a sad place, but wine and music blunt the truth of it. Well, now, we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Before I close... Please, you're asked to listen out for the Worcester Talking Magazine Bumper Christmas Annual, which should be dropping onto your doormat next week, so there's something to look forward to. It only remains now for me to say thank you to Moira and to John for reading and recording, and to Carol Hartle and the vital admin provision that they give us, We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next time. So, best Christmas wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, so I'm starting with the the death notices. John Edgar Keatley, aged 91 years, ex-MEB, died peacefully on the 29th of November in Perth, Australia, formerly of Worcester. He will be sadly missed. Michael Joseph Gorman, the plasterer, passed away peacefully on November the 29th, aged 83 years. A private service will be held at St George's Catholic Church on Thursday, December the 17th at 12.15, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Marjorie Brenda Wheeler, wife of the late Dennis, passed away peacefully at Priory Court Nursing Home, Stamford, on November the 19th, aged 99 years. Private funeral at St John's Church on December the 15th at 12 noon. Eva Clark, nay Leighton, passed away suddenly but peacefully in Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 78 years. The funeral service were at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 10th at 12.15. Invited family and friends only, please, due to COVID restrictions and no black by request. Bernie Horton of Worcester passed away peacefully in hospital after a short illness on 23rd of November, aged 75 years. A private cremation will take place. Phyllis Raisin, or Phil, Passed away at Latimer Court Care Home on the 1st of December, aged 86 years. The funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 14th of December at 3.15. Immediate family only, please, due to COVID restrictions. The family intend to hold a memorial service in April 2021. Derek Macy passed away peacefully at home with his family by his side on November the 25th aged 83 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 9th at 3.15. Invited family and friends only, please, due to COVID restrictions. Pamela Parry, nay wait, passed away peacefully, aged 82, after a short illness on November the 27th. Patricia Margaret Price, nay Hunt, Passed away peacefully on November the 26th, aged 85 years. A private service and cremation to take place in due course. Frederick Ballinger, known as Andy, of Lower Broadheath, passed peacefully away on Friday, November the 6th, 
aged 82. The funeral service has taken place. Gillian Mary Clark, nay Dark, known as Jill, passed away peacefully at St Stephen's Care Home on November the 14th, aged 83 years. The funeral has taken place. Gordon Gwillem died after a short illness at Worcester Royal Hospital on 16th of November, aged 94. Private family funeral due to COVID-19. John Hubbard, Bob of Worcester, passed away peacefully in hospital on the 14th of November, aged 73 years. A private cremation will take place. Brian John Wall of West Malvern, passed away peacefully on November the 18th, aged 90 years. A private funeral service due to COVID-19 restrictions to take place at St James's Church, West Malvern. Kenneth John Butt, passed away 18th of November 2020, aged 83 years. A private family burial. Ken Harrison, Passed away peacefully on Thursday the 19th of November in Burnley, aged 86. A celebration of Ken's life will be held in Worcester in spring 2021, restrictions permitting. Anne-Margaret Waters of St John's. Passed away peacefully at home on Thursday, November the 19th, 2020. We have no funeral details. Barbara Mary Lee, who taught in Worcester, sadly passed away on November the 3rd, 2020, aged 85 years. A funeral has taken place. Kathleen Doreen Simmons, unexpectedly passed away on Saturday the 14th of November at the Worcester Royal Hospital. Jeremy Edward Glynn Cole, passed away peacefully at home with his close family at his side on Sunday, November the 22nd, aged 48 years. We have no funeral details. Christine Aldridge, passed away peacefully on the 19th of November with all her family by her side. We have no funeral details. Cecil Duckworth, CBE. Freeman of the City of Worcester died peacefully at home on November the 15th, 2020, a private family funeral. Brian William Neal, known as Mick, on December the, 20, the 2nd, 2020, peacefully at his home in Pershaw, aged 82 years. A private funeral service will take place at Pershaw Abbey on Tuesday, December the 15th. Sorry, due to restrictions, this will be attended by the family and close friends only. However, if you wish to stand in respect to Mick, his funeral cortege will travel up Pershaw High Street at approximately 12.35pm on the way to Pershaw Cemetery. Marjorie Iris O'Sullivan, née Sprague, passed away peacefully on the 23rd of November 2020 at Beechwood Care Home, Holly Green. A private family service will be held due to COVID restrictions. Edna Joyce Smith, née Hobbs, passed away peacefully on Monday, November the 23rd, 2020, 
aged 99 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, December the 11th at 11.30am. Invited family and friends only, please, due to COVID restrictions. But a memorial service will be held next year to celebrate Edna's wonderful life. And Sally Wilmont, former teacher in Worcester, passed away peacefully on November the 24th, 2020, aged 69 years. A private cremation will take place. <laughs>